Are you confused about real food and what's healthy and good for the planet? Do you need the facts about local, organic, and sustainable food? Well, get ready to change the way you eat. Get ready for The Appropriate Omnivore with Aaron Zober, right here on Green Earth Radio. Hello, and welcome to another episode of The Appropriate Omnivore on Green Earth Radio. Passover starts on Monday evening, so to join me in talking about how to celebrate the holiday appropriately is Lisa Rose of the blog Real Food Kosher. Plus, the desserts will tell you how to live appropriately in the upcoming week. But first, let's go to the appetizers and find out what's happening in the world of real food. At the Natural Farmer Union's 111th annual convention a few weeks ago, the organization adopted a new pro-raw milk policy. The new policies were proposed by Organic Pastures founder Mark McAfee on behalf of the delegates from California and supported by the delegates from Pennsylvania and northeastern states. The policies call for single-source production for raw milk so consumers can be assured of the source of their fresh milk. The NFU is a union for family farms and co-ops. If anyone knows about the truth and benefits of raw milk, it would be an organization such as this. Perhaps similar organizations will soon follow suit. The U.S. Congress is currently moving forward with a passage of the Agriculture Appropriations Bill, which contains the rider allowing biotechnology corporations like Monsanto to bypass the legal system in approving, growing, and selling GMOs. If this bill gets fully passed, federal courts will no longer have the authority to stop genetically modified seeds from being sold and planted. A scary thought, moving things in even more of the wrong direction. It's already out of control that we're not able to know if what we're eating is genetically modified. But while passage of this bill could be a major roadblock in the fight against GMOs, here's some news to feel good about. While biotech companies are trying to get the patent for genetically modified seafood passed, Whole Foods, Trader Joe's, and other supermarkets, making up more than 2,000 stores, say they won't sell the products. If the government won't stop GMOs from being approved, perhaps businesses, and even more importantly, people, can stop them from being accepted. Also, at a meeting of the American Heart Association, a new research showed the sugary drinks are linked to 180,000 deaths worldwide. The deaths were also linked to such illnesses as diabetes, heart disease, and cancer. 25,000 of these deaths were in the United States. I see sugar as the biggest villain in society, being unhealthy. This study should serve as a basis for proving to people that it's sugar which is making the world sick and not cholesterol. And finally, Huntington Beach could soon join the list of Southern California cities to ban plastic shopping bags. Other Orange County cities, such as Dana Point and Laguna Beach, have adopted bans based on the one in Los Angeles County. Love seeing so many cities following suit and banning this unnecessary product. And now for the main course, which today is eating real food for Passover. Passover, like real food, is about following traditions. With real food, we're eating a diet that's kept many cultures healthy for centuries. With Passover, we celebrate many traditions. One tradition is having a Seder dinner and telling the story of Moses leading the slaves out of Egypt. 
We also celebrate the tradition of going without leavened bread for eight days. But while we celebrate these traditions, something is lost along the way, which is the food that we're eating is currently not the same as what was eaten in the days we're remembering. The holiday of Passover is a great way to learn about what real food is. The unleavened bread that was eaten in the time of Egypt was definitely not the hybridized wheat that we've been consuming for the past 50 years. Additionally, lots of nutrient-dense foods are served at a Seder. Eggs, the main course, which is typically a brisket or chicken, and matzo ball soup, which should always be made with a bone broth. Here to talk with me about eating real food on Passover is Lisa Rose of the blog Real Food Kosher. Lisa, thank you so much for coming on this program. Oh, thank you for having me. It's wonderful. I was wanting to do this show. I love doing holiday-themed shows about cooking real food, and I'd seen your blog Real Food Kosher, so I thought that was the perfect guest for this episode. So now, how do you define real food, and how do you get that to fit in with keeping kosher? Um, well, I think real food is really about just eating simple, unprocessed whole foods, um, nothing in the fancy packages or that took, you know, labs and chemical source from all over the world to, to produce. You know, these are the things that you can make in your own kitchen, um, and it's also, you know, thinking about where the source of your food is, you know, what kind of soil are your vegetables grown on, and the animals that you're buying, you know, how are they treated, and what are they eating. You know, just to think about where, where the food is coming from, not just looking for fancy packages with fancy labels that tells you they're healthy. You know, just eating, eating the way we used to eat, the way our tradition was. And kosher is also tradition as well as real food. So do you see some similarities between the concepts of real food and kosher? You know, I see similarities more in, I guess, in the philosophy of it, not in the way that people are actually putting into practice today. Um, I think the way we're keeping kosher today is far removed from the way it's supposed to be. Um, you know, when you look in the Torah and the Bible, a lot of the, our, our laws and regulations have to think about you know, how the animals are treated and are we being wasteful in what we're doing. Um, also worried about taking care of the environment. And it seems like there's a big disconnect. You know, just walk into any kosher market and look at what's available there. It just seems like there's a big disconnect to, to what kosher products are available today and what and what really should be at the root of our traditions and keeping kosher. Um, so if if we were really following the ethics in the in the Torah and the Bible, I think there is a um, there is a you know a synergy between real food and kosher food. But in the way that it's that we're buying food today, and in just in practical terms, I don't see real food and kosher being being synergistic. I would agree with that as well. When I talk about how I'm all for eating meat that's humanely raised, a lot of people bring up kosher, and I tell them that the current kosher foods, they're not perfect in the way that these animals are raised in terms of the processing and all of that. Right. You know, I think a big part of it is also the economics of it. It's just, um, it's very expensive to, it's already expensive to have kosher food, and it's already expensive to find the grass-fed, you know, ethically raised meat. 
But when you get those two together, it becomes astronomical. You know, the most people just aren't going to to make that a priority and and, and look for that kind of such high priced meat. Um, it's probably you know part of it is education, but it's also I don't know it's not a, a demand for it or people just aren't thinking about it. Um, also, people just think that you know if their meat is kosher, that it's fine because. You know why would why would it be kosher if it's not being raised properly? Um, but it's it's really that's I think that's probably one of the most frustrating things to me keeping kosher is I can't just go to the local farmers market and and start relationships with the ranchers that are there and and ask them you know can you make this can you make your meat kosher It's just so just so complicated to do that. Um, there just isn't that available, you know, that local source of kosher meat available to us. I imagine that would be tough. So how do you go out about finding meat that's kosher and also grass-fed? Um, as far as I know, there's really only a couple of companies that are offering it. Um, and for those of us that live in California, it's something that we have to ship in. It's not a local product. Um um, but I, you know the way, the way that I that I've been doing it because my family actually doesn't do good on a vegetarian diet, is that I'll order from those companies, but I also think it's better that my kids, you know, that I give them meat even if it's not the the, the optimal meat that I want them to eat. I rather than that, I rather they eat that than you know a bowl of white pasta, for example. Um, but when I can. I do order from from the buying clubs. Have you had the KOL kosher? Yes, I've ordered from Coke Foods and also Bro and Behold. Um, and there's also there's also um, grass fed meat coming from South America that's kosher, but I'm not really sure about the slaughter slaughtering methods. Um, that's something that I would have to look more into. But I know that some of the the local butchers. Some of the local kosher butchers do carry the, the Uruguay meats. I just don't have that much knowledge about about those. Right. So when it comes between being kosher or being grass-fed, which one do you see of greater value? Um, well, right now, being kosher is, is the greatest value, but it's you know it's not it's not easy. It's really something that I that I struggle with because um, I don't think. I, you know, it's hard that I have to make that choice. I find it very hard. Um, it's, it's, it, can, it can get tempting when I when I see what's available in the farmers markets, and I just wish I could just you know go up and and buy some bison, and there's such great product available there. But um, the kosher always always wins out. You talked earlier about how your kids did do well on vegetarian diet. Is that something that you had tried for a little bit? Um, well, I actually was vegetarian until my first pregnancy. <clears throat> and, and midway through, I just wasn't feeling well and started introducing meat in my diet. But I was, not, you know, when I first had my kids, I was more into like the mainstream type of nutrition. You know, we were doing a lot of soy milk and and tofu products, and it was more low-fat type of type of a diet. 
and that actually got us into trouble. My son um, grew up, you know, when he was five, he was having a lot of stomach issues, and they just, you know, diagnosed him as irritable bowel syndrome. Um, but it was really the diet that he was on. It was just not optimal for him. Um, I had to kind of move away from what I thought was healthy and move towards more of like a traditional type of diet, just, you know, giving him the full-fat milk and the, you know, no more egg white omelets and no more soy products, not worrying about, you know, fat-free, sugar-free, you know, all that kind of stuff. So it really, um, just going back to like, the real traditional food just healed him, and he's, he's totally fine now. <laughs> was the Weston A. Price Foundation a big guideline in your switching to meat and real food? Oh, it was. It was. It was definitely the turning point. Um, when I was going through that process, trying to figure out how to heal him, a friend of mine lent me a copy of her nourishing Editions, and that was it. I never looked back. <laughs> I got him on raw milk right away. Um, finally stopped being afraid of fat, which I think was a, was a missing, was like the missing link in his diet. Um, so that, and also just learning how to, how to prepare foods, um, learning from our traditions. People used to soak and sprout and ferment all their greens. That's probably why so many people are having so many issues with, with like gluten and other greens. Um, these people... You know, everything is about fast food. We don't know how to prepare food anymore. I think that's a big problem, too, about the grains and gluten is that people aren't soaking and fermenting them and properly preparing them. So then do you do proper preparing of grains as opposed to avoiding them at all costs? Um, you know, when we first transitioned, well, the initial transition I had to have completely gluten-free. Um, but then I started to to do a lot more of the, the properly preparing grains. But you know, little by little, we've just been transitioning to just the more grain-free diet. I just find that they do much better when we're, when we're not eating so much. You know, even if it's fermented and sprouted and, and soaked, I just see that they do much better just eating, you know, animals and vegetables. The thing about the book Nourishing Traditions is one of the co-authors, Mary Enig, is actually Jewish, and there's certainly some of her Jewish background that she worked in it, because actually there are no recipes in it for pork because of that, and Sally Fallon respected that about her. Yeah, you know, I didn't, I didn't know that. That's so interesting. It is. So I think that certainly Mary Enig's Jewish background did play a part in writing the book, and in it she says in the book that pork is not a traditional food. She calls it a compromised food. Mm -hmm. wow. And I think that's been actually a thing for me, although I've never kept kosher. It was kind of after reading that, I kind of discovered that since it isn't in my ancestry for that long, that it's probably something just kind of best not for me to eat that much. And it was very much from reignorting traditions that made me realize that. Mm -hmm. Wow. Well, I never thought about that. That's cool. So what were the biggest changes that you had to make from going from a traditional kosher diet to following a diet of along the guidelines of the Weston A. Price Foundation? Um, probably some of the, you know, there's a lot of cooking involved when you're keeping a traditional kosher home. There's you, you prepare your meals every Friday night and Saturday lunch for the Sabbath or Shabbat, 
Um, there's all these holidays that come up. And <clears throat> excuse me, it seems that a lot of holiday and, and weekly preparations always involve a lot of baked goods. Um, people always, you know, want those like big dessert tables when you're entertaining like that. So I think that was probably the biggest change was was just stopping with all those refined, you know, those baked goods full of refined flours and sugars um, and just transitioning to a lot healthier type of baked goods. Um, I'm trying to think what other big changes. Oh, and also just moving away from the fat-free dogma that, that's out there today and just, you know, just going for the whole, whole food. I, you know, I always cooked healthy. There was always vegetables on the table, but, you know, I was always going for the skinless chicken breast and, you know, lots of soy products. So, you know, moving away from that kind of thinking and, and going back to just, just real traditional food. What kind of baked goods do you make now? Um, right now, I do a lot of almond flour baked goods. Um, there's there's a ton of recipes out there now, but when I had it, when I had to remove my son to this gluten-free state, we found this book called Breaking the Vicious Cycle, which is um, based on the specific carbohydrate diet, and that was the diet that I used to heal him. And many of their their goods are based on almond flour products and nut flours. Um, so I started playing around with that and just kind of kept going with it. How about coconut flour? I use it sometimes, but my family is not a big fan, so I haven't explored it too much. Um, but, you know, I also, I'm also cut back a lot from making those kind of things. You know, my kids are snacking on beef jerky and trail mix and, you know, fruits and vegetables and that kind of thing. Which I would say is really the best solution, although certainly there are more natural sweets that you can make. The best solution of all is to just, avoid sweets totally or only have them on rare occasions. Right. I mean, I'll still, you know, one of my go-to kind of Friday night desserts is making a fruit crisp. So I'll just cut up whatever fruit is in season and I'll make the, the crisp topping base, you know, an almond flour base. So that's kind of like the treat that I made. Um, I, I don't do as much of the baked goods that I used to. Yeah. And for that, do you do any sweeteners that you add to it? Um, the sweeteners that I use lately is um, coconut sugar, coconut palm sugar. Um, I use honey, a little maple syrup. Um, I haven't bought white sugar in I don't know how long. <laughs> I try to stay away from that. Oh, me too, yeah. I find that, I find that the, the coconut palm sugar works very well. And if you need more of like a powdery consistency, if you just put it in a Vitamix or a blender, you can get more, you know, you can make your own homemade powdered sugar. Oh, nice. Yeah, because I find that the coconut sugar is even better than the sucanat. I believe it's a lower glycemic index. Yeah, that's what I read also. I, mean, I still think even with the natural sugars, we all, we all have to be careful about not going overboard with it. Um, but it's still nice to have something to use when you want to make that treat. I completely agree. Even the natural sweeteners shouldn't be used that much. I would say probably the best of the natural sweeteners is the raw honey when it's in its raw state because then when you cook it, then its properties change. Right. Right. You know, it, yeah, I, I, I use a lot of raw honey, especially that 
you know, things like, you know, whole milk yogurt. I'm having the, the vanilla yogurts or the flavored yogurts anymore. So, you know, I'll let my kids put a little bit raw honey on their yogurt in the morning or, or on top of the granola, which is homemade granola. <laughs> and along with beef, I imagine dairy may be another product that's hard to find, one that follows the nourishing traditions guideline as well as kosher. Mm-hmm. Well, I think, you know, we're... If you live in LA, you're pretty lucky because we have organic pastures, which um, you know you can go to the farmers market and buy the raw milk. Um, but even if you don't have that, there is, you know, like Strauss has a good quality pasteurized whole milk. Um, so it's a little bit easier with the dairy, except on Passover, it's there's nothing organic available. It's really hard. And so organic pastures is certified kosher. Well, you know, I guess that depends on on what community you're in. For we buy the raw milk without the certification. Um, in terms of the cheese, that's something that would have to be certified, depending on, you know, again, it depends what kind of community you're in and what what level you're you're abiding to. Um, so that that gets a little tricky. It's hard to. There's really no like one standard, you know. But I know that um, I think Organic Pastures does do a kosher run every once in a while, so it might be available in some of the in some of the kosher markets. At least I know they used to do that. I don't know if they still do. Hmm. I should look into that, find out about it. And I see that Strauss is certified kosher, and that makes sense with the name of all. Yeah. Yeah, that's a, when I, you know that's the yogurt that I buy. I usually buy some them, and the, and the and their butter is really good too. Yeah, and Strauss is probably the best when it comes to any of the pasteurized dairies. They use all non-GMOs, and it's grass-fed, I guess, except for in the winter season. So, it is one of the most sustainable pasteurized dairies. Right. Yeah, and again, you know, you, you have to do the best you can with what you have. And I think actually, you know, the Western Price has a shopping guide, which is, I think, is an amazing resource. Oh, me too. So list, yeah, you know, they'll list what are the best sources of, of dairy, but they'll also give you, you know, good sources, which may not be optimal, but if that's what you have, you know, that's what you can look at for. Um, so I think they list Strauss, and, you know, they'll list some other pasteurized dairy companies that they feel, you know, could be better than some other ones. Yeah, they do list Strauss. And I do like also that they have that category of good as well as the excellent. It's good for a lot of reasons, because for one, sometimes the excellent can be more expensive. Sometimes people live in areas where these excellent products aren't available. So I like that, that they're able to talk about ones that don't meet 100% of their guidelines, but that you should rather do these than just do the old conventional standard American food. Right. And then, and then, of course, they have their avoid category, which no matter what, you should just avoid. But, but yeah, it's a, it's a great resource. It's really helpful, especially if you don't have it available in your area. Oh, yeah, and I like it that they update it every year, as well as the fact that even if you're not a member, you can order it for relatively cheap. I think it's like a little over a dollar, and it's a good thing, I think, if anyone's interested in thinking about transitioning to real foods, enjoying the Weston A. Price Foundation, if you're a member, you just get it with your membership fee. But if you're not, I think it's a good thing to order and you can learn more and see if maybe this is where you want to go. 
Oh, yes. It's very education, practical, and user-friendly. And, and you can find their products. There's a lot of products in there that are kosher certified. They are. I know one of the great products that's in there and that is a great support of the Weston A. Price Foundation is the To Your Health Sprouted Flower. They're all mm -hmm. certified kosher. Right. Yeah, I, I use their their flour when I make challah. So I like yes, that. I've seen your recipe for challah, which that sounds so good. And I think challah is a kosher food and a traditional food, and it shows a lot about how we used to make our breads and how they were better then, because it shows that we used to make our breads with eggs, so we used to have a fat-soluble vitamin in our breads. And but you know if you go into a kosher bakery today, it's just so far removed from what challah probably used to be. It's so there's so much. So it seems like every time I go out for Shabbat, the challahs are getting sweeter and sweeter, and just it's just a refined white flour, white sugar. It's like you're starting your meal with dessert already. You know, it's it's a little sad that it's become that way. Um, and you know, challah was. You know, traditional bread was all sourdough bread. Um, so how we how we come to to what's available today? Is, I don't know, oh, it is yes. Traditional bread they always used to ferment it into the sourdough form, and I mean you even you see reference to to that in passages in the Torah about making sourdough bread as well as also I believe stuff with spelt. Mm -hmm. Right. Speaking of the um, challah and that they use egg yolks, I mean, I imagine in a lot of these bakeries now the egg yolks are awful eggs from factory farms. Mm hmm Yeah. They're, I mean, they're they're probably trying to source the cheapest ingredients they can. Um, a lot of the bakeries are still using margarine for their baked goods. And if, they not, if they're not using margarine, if they're trying to go healthy, supposedly, they'll use canola oil which is usually genetically modified and rancid and actually does have trans fats and most people don't realize that. Um, I, I actually use coconut oil when I'm making challah. And that, that always comes out really good. That's a good point to bring up. A lot of people don't realize that canola oil has trans fats and there's this whole loophole with the products that they can say it has no trans fats because they give a small serving size and in that small serving, there's no trans fats, but the serving size is like so minuscule. No one eats that when they eat the products with canola oil. Yeah. You know, it's all, it all comes back to, you know, just going back to what real food, whole food. I mean, you could never make canola oil in your kitchen. That's not something that, that you need, like, serious equipment to produce something like canola oil. Um, I start just, you know, thinking about simple whole foods when you're buying food, you realize that canola oil is just not something that, that should be consumed. Um, but, you know, there's a big issue because when you keep kosher, you, you can't mix dairy products and meat products. So this whole industry, you know, came up about trying to replace dairy products. You can still use it in a meat meal. So you have all these, like, non-dairy creamers and and um, like soy replacements for for dairy, um, that's a I think that's a whole other issue where people are kind of harming their health trying to trying to replace these dairy foods with these processed foods. That is certainly a big issue, and 
I was actually wondering, is the reason that you use the coconut oil in the challah instead of something like, say, butter, which a lot of people make breads with, that's a very traditional way, is that because often the challah is served with a meat dish? Exactly. So that's, that's kind of my non-dairy replacement when I can't use butter. Um, that's like my main fat. Coconut oil is my main fat when I'm using meat products. Um, actually, I also use beef tallow. I started buying, I'll order from either Cold Foods and throw and behold, I'll order some beef tallow and render that myself. So I started using that. And that, that's not very common either in the kosher in the kosher world. People aren't frying much in beef fat. That's uh, not common much in the mainstream for food world either as far as frying stuff in beef tallow. A lot of people don't know what it is. I mean, most restaurants, they typically use canola oil or soybean oil. Right. Right. And, yeah, and most people still think the canola oil. Well, you know, if I tell people I'm frying beef fat, they think I'm, you know, I'm going to have a heart attack tomorrow. <laughs> oh, yeah. I mean, there's a whole belief that canola oil is healthy, which after I've learned all about canola oil, it just blows my mind that anyone could think that canola oil is healthy. Right. That's, that's what's really causing, you know, the the hardening of our arteries with all these vegetable oils that we're frying in. It is. This whole cholesterol is an innocent bystander as we're frying our arteries with the canola oil as well as I would say with the refined white flour like you're talking about and also the white sugar. Um, it's excess carbs that we have in our diet today, all these refined carbs that's, that's causing so many problems. And I would certainly agree with you that when you're not using butter, that certainly the best fats are coconut oil and beef tallow. And I mean, I think they can be used interchangeably pretty much. I mean, you'll have a little different taste with each, but certainly those are all healthy fats where the properties, they don't change when you heat them, which happens right. with canola oil or soybean oil and add also a corn oil. Yeah. There's also palm oil you can get, um, you know, if you're sourcing it from the right place. Like, you know, I think Wilderness Family Naturals has really nice palm oil. So I use that sometimes and that's very healthy too. Where do you find that? Um, it's uh, online. Okay. It's, the company is called Wilderness Family Naturals. Um, and that's where I buy my coconut oil also. They have a, an expeller press coconut oil. Because um, unfortunately, my family doesn't like the flavor too much when I use it in a lot of recipes. So they have a, an expeller press that's done. The, the way they process it isn't, isn't, you know, isn't like ruining the fats or anything. But it just takes a little bit of the flavor away. And, and that seems to be my go-to oil when I'm baking. I'll look into that one because sometimes I do find it has a little too much of a coconut taste when I cook things in coconut oil. Although I find it depends on the product because there's some where it doesn't seem to show up that much. And Yeah, well, you should try it. Their Expeller Press is really, it has a really nice clean flavor and people never notice that I'm using coconut oil when I use it. And I have to also go for them for palm oil because I haven't seen palm oil sold in any of the stores in Los Angeles. You know, it's not easy to find. And it's a very misunderstood thing because so many of my environmental, non-West Side Price colleagues, when I bring up palm oil, 
they'll say about how that's so bad for the environment. And I remind them that there's a fair trade palm oil, which doesn't have those problems and just a misunderstanding that it is actually healthy for you. Right. You just have to get, get it from the right source. Um, but it's nice because their palm oil is still bright red, so you're still getting all that nutrition from it. Oh, yeah. Yeah, because I've finally gotten to taste the palm oil at the West Nape Price Pasadena chapter meeting. We had someone speak about the benefits and controversies of palm oil, and I got to taste all the different types, and it's great, especially the red. Yeah, I forgot what the compound is that makes it red, but I think it's an antioxidant. Maybe. I think, though, it has something to do with, like, what part of the coconut palm it's taken from. Mm-hmm. We'll continue to talk with Lisa Rose about keeping real food and keeping kosher, as well as what she's going to be having for the Passover Seder, which is coming up after a word from our sponsors. To Your Health Sprouted Flour Company offers organic sprouted grains and flours for all your baking needs. We have more than 34 sprouted products, hundreds of recipes, and are always available to answer your flour and baking questions. Whether you're making sourdough breads, French baguettes, birthday cakes, granola, or pancakes, let us be your sprouted grain and flour source. Certified organic and kosher, featuring 20 gluten-free sprouted products. Visit our website at organicsproutedflour.net or call toll-free 877-401-6837. What is a healthy diet? Conflicting information is thrown at us daily. Help chart your course to wellness with a steady guide, the Weston A. Price Foundation. Our nutrition and health information is helping many families recover from degenerative disease and nutrient deficiencies. Join for only $40 a year and receive our quarterly journal. Visit our website, westonaprice.org, for more details. And we're back. I'm talking with Lisa Rose. She runs the blog Real Food Kosher. We've been talking about how she's lived a lifestyle of keeping both kosher and following the guidelines of real food based on the book Nourishing Traditions. We've just been talking about general foods that she eats as far as keeping kosher and keeping with traditional foods. Now I'd like to get into what you're looking at doing for the Passover Seder meal that's coming up. Um, I actually find it fun to cook for the Passover Seder. It's, it's a little hectic because it's like cooking, you know, two Thanksgiving meals <laughs> in one day. Um, but I do, I do a lot of the traditional type of thing. I'll make brisket, um, I'll make lamb cuisine, and there's always a ton of vegetables on the side. Um, uh, let's see what other things. Sometimes I'll make chicken soup or some other twist on that, like an Asian-style chicken soup. Um, you know, and I used to, it's also a big change from how I used to do it 10 years ago. I would try to make those, you know, like Passover biscotti and cakes and all these kind of things that make you think it's not kosher for Passover, and I just I just don't do that anymore. Uh, usually, I usually don't have time anymore to, to, to bake like that because I'm I spend so much of my time making the kind of day-to-day things that that I want to have in the fridge that I won't buy in the markets anymore, like homemade mayonnaise and, you know, granola and that kind of thing. Uh, So typically my 
my Passover dessert lately has just been chocolate fondue. I'll just melt a bunch of chocolate and get whatever seasonal fruits I can get from the farmer's market, and that's and that's our dessert. For your chicken soup, do you use it based on a bone broth? Yes. Yes, I have actually bought a slow cooker to use just for Passover, and I'll, you know, I'll start that a couple of days ahead of time. I'll get all my, my broth going, um, just leave that on for 24 hours. Um, yeah, but it's always, it's always based on, on some, you know, good soup bones and chicken feet and that kind of thing. Chicken soup, I mean, that's a traditional meal of Passover and of Shabbat. And I imagine that early on, these chicken soups were done by bone broth. And there's nothing that's lost with the modern conventional American foods is the slow-cooked bone broth. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, you find, you know, the markets today, they have all these, you know, soup powders that you can add to make your, your chicken soup. And they're all... MSG based and who knows what other ingredients they're putting in there. Um, you know, people forget that you can you can get great flavor just from the bones. You really don't need to buy those powders. The big thing I see in the stores with all of them is that they all have sugar in them. Yes. Yes, that's a big problem. All those Passover foods now, it's like sugar, potato starch, you know, it's, everything is in cottonseed oil. Those are like the three food groups of Passover. And you were also talking about a brisket. Where do you get the meat for your brisket? Um, you know, it depends on the year. I either get it from my local butcher or I'll order from Grow and Behold or Whole Foods. Um, it just depends depends on the year and where I'm getting my meat that year. In addition, you were talking earlier about how you've been avoiding grains. So for the Passover Seder, do you avoid matzah or do you make a grain-free type of matzah? No, I, I, you know, in general, we're avoiding greens, but, you know, for something as traditional as having matzah on the table, that's not something I'm going I'm to mess with. So, so I do, I do buy matzah for, for that. It's, of course, it's not going to be sprouted or soaked or fermented, but it's, you know, that's a tradition that is just too important. Which type of matzah do you buy? I uh, usually buy... There's actually organic whole wheat matzo available now, so that's that's the one that I get. I think that makes a smart choice. The one I've been typically doing is been the spelt matzo because it's an ancient grain. Mm-hmm. Right. Which, but it's harder to find and it can be very expensive too. So just, but that yeah, that's a nice choice too. And they do have oat matzo now for people that are gluten free or celiac. Um. I did try it last year. I didn't think it was that good. <laughs> but if you want to, if you want to have it and you can't eat the regular matzo, that's available. Yeah, the spelt matzo is hard to find. The one I get, it's the straits, and yeah, it is a little more expensive, which I can certainly understand with a family. I mean, I'm single guy right now. We'll see. You know, when I have a family, if I'm able to get the straight spelt matzo. Right. For a lot of Passovers, eggs are a traditional dish. Do you include that in your Passover? Yes, and I. You get it from the farmer's market, so it's all pastured and you know raised properly, the, the way chickens are supposed to be raised and eating what they're supposed to eat. Um, but yeah, that's definitely a big part of part not only of the theater but the week in general. Um, that's, we have extra breakfast and I make homemade mayonnaise and whatever other 
baking I'm doing. Right. I think eggs, it's another thing in the Passover, because I see a lot of Passover Seder has a lot of traditional foods that a lot of people might not eat anymore except at Passover. And I think it's kind of a great time to bring out these traditional foods. We serve eggs. I mean, there's a chicken soup. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I think I think Passover is a nice way to kind of even um, break from these habits that we have during the year. Um, it's unfortunate. I mean, my kids actually don't even know that there's all these Passover foods available because I never take them to the market during that week. But you know, if if you're if you're kind of stuck on cereals and and snack foods and and all that that kind of thing, I think it's a really nice way to just start fresh and you know, get to know what's available in your area, your farmer's markets, and, and just start eating real food. Um, and stop relying on all these processed kind of wannabe foods, you know, cereals that look like, like you could eat them every day, but they're really for Passover. And it seems like the markets now, it's all full of products that try to be fake, fake products. You know, you can buy Passover pizza and Passover bagels and, and Passover cakes, and it's, they're trying to, to have people not feel deprived, but I think it's, it's a nice opportunity to actually stop eating that stuff. Oh, me too. And another thing is about matzah, it shows actually about how we used to prepare our bread. This is actually something that Kayla Daniel talks about in the book, The Whole Soy Story, that breads used to always be fermented with the sourdough cultures and Passover. That was the one time a year where they didn't do the fermentation and we had the matzah. Mhm. Yeah, that's a good way for people to learn about that too. I don't think people make that connection though, um, of the way you know that bread used to be done. Right. And another thing about Passover is the salt water. I think it shows also how we really should get more salt into our diets. Mhm. Mm well, the right kind of salt too. Oh, the certainly. That's available is also very processed. Oh, yeah, no iodized salts. I mean, I think probably the best salt is Celtic salt. Mm-hmm. Yeah, Himalayan. I mean, there's, there's, there's so many options now because we're in such a foodie culture. You can get sea salt from all over the world. Um, but, yeah, those are, those are a much better option than the kosher salt and that kind of thing. Which was actually a question I had coming up, up about if you use social salt or do you use more of a sea salt or an earth salt? I use sea salt. I don't use a kosher salt. I try to, you know, even with the salt, I, I want the least processed as possible. Um, you know, you're not putting a ton of it, but whatever you do get, at least you're you're having it with other minerals that probably are more balanced in your body. And you know, you're getting these processed salts. That's probably what creates issues with salt consumption too. Are there kosher sea salts? Um, actually, the, I don't think kosher sea salt needs to be certified because it's just a pure product. It's not really processed or heat treated. Oh, interesting. So are there certain foods then that don't need to be certified kosher? Yes. Yes, there are. Um, things like extra virgin olive oil, things they don't need to be certified. Um, you know, some people think that, you know, regular milk doesn't need to be certified. Of course, there's also... You know, depending on what community or what, you know, what, what tradition you hold, you know, if you're Orthodox or conservative or there's just different, I guess, different levels of what people observe or, or don't observe. So 
it's always good to have someone to ask those kind of questions if it's something that that um, that's important to you. Um, it's good to have a, a local rabbi to ask for things that you're not really sure about. Right. What about produce? Um, produce doesn't need to have certification, but you just there is an issue about bugs because you can't eat bugs. You have to make sure that you're you're washing it properly. Um, but produce doesn't need to be certified. So the farmer's market is pretty good as far as most food oh, yeah, culture. Yeah. I, I come home with a whole carload of produce from the farmer's market every week. And also the bugs thing, I think, is a reason then that we should go more for this high-bricks nutrient-dense farming because that's probably the best system as, as far as avoiding bugs altogether from eating at the crops. Mm-hmm. Right, except there is, you know, some... Some people in the cultural world would say that the, you know, the conventional is better because they're spraying it with stuff that the bugs can't live. So <laughs> there's kind of a disconnect there as well. Um, I think so too. Going back to Passover and the traditional Passover foods, how about macaroons? Is that something that you still do for Passover? Um, it was never a family favorite. Um, they're just not the biggest coconut lovers, unfortunately. Um, but if I do make them, you know, I never make it with white sugar. I'll make it with honey, um, and I'll make, you know, I'm getting eggs. I'm getting really good quality eggs, and I'm definitely not throwing out the egg yolks. So a lot of people, you know, probably do that. Um, you know, keep those to make mayonnaise or or some other, you know, sauces. Um, yeah, there's a there's definitely better ways to make macaroons. So are macaroons typically made without the egg yolks? Yeah, macaroons are are, are basically egg whites and sugar and, and coconut. That's like the main ingredients. So you're always separating out the the whites and whites and milks when you make macaroons. Oh really? It's a little scary. The egg yolks are really the most nutritional part of it. That's where you have the fat soluble vitamins that makes you able to take in the protein from the egg white. Yeah, I know. It kills me to think about how many egg yolks I threw away before I, I transition into this whole real food type of eating. Um, you know, I'll throw egg yolks into my kids' smoothies. There's just so much nutrition in it. It's like a, it's basically a multivitamin. But I also I didn't realize that macaroons are made typically with coconut, so they're not made at all with any type of wheat flour. No. Um, if you if you want to get a little bit of that. Um, Consistency. You can always add almond flour to it, um, but you know, I guess it depends on the recipe. But it's usually egg whites, sugar, and and coconut. Well, that's interesting. So, I mean, there's another food from Passover that is an example of real food. Although the part about egg whites, maybe not so much, but the idea that there's a food that can be made without any type of wheat flour. Right. Yeah. That's why it's such a such a tradition to eat it on Passover because you don't need to use flour to make it. And it's a thing for people that have gluten intolerance or celiac disease that they could eat year-round is macaroons because they have no wheat. Right. Now, I'd be interested, I wonder if anyone's ever tried actually making macaroons with egg yolks in them. Um, I don't know. It'd probably be just a different kind of cookie. I imagine it would taste different. I suspect it would actually taste better. Not that I don't like macaroons. 
Yeah, but the thing with the making the macaroons is you you're whipping up the egg whites, so you get that kind of um, rise to it. Um, so you don't need the, the the flour and that kind of thing. So that's why a lot of recipes are using the egg whites because you you whip them up so so your cake can rise and whatever else you're making can can have a nice rise to it. I see. So it's more of just a leavening agent than including mm-hmm. any type of fat soluble vitamin in it. But you know, coconut is very healthy. So if you're if you're making these with honey instead of white sugar, it could be a very um, healthy treat. Oh, absolutely. And I mean, there's a, I know there's a product now that hit the market called Coco Runes, which are macaroons made with a lot of coconut. Mm-hmm. I think those are, are raw based, right? I they are. Uh, the thing about Coco Runes is, I feel like this product hits like almost every type of food group because. It's raw, it's vegan, it's kosher. As far as I know, I think it fits pretty much anything that Weston A. Price would allow. Right. So I think it's a pretty amazing product. Yeah. The thing about being able to make it at home, though, is that you can control how sweet it is. Because things that you buy are usually sweeter than than they need to be. Um, I I don't know how the cocoa runes is on how how much sweetener they put in it. I'm not sure either. I mean, I know it's all natural sweeteners. It actually doesn't use any type of sugar. It just uses a maple syrup. But as far as how much maple syrup they put in, that's a good question. I mean, I think that's a problem really with any processed food you see at the store. It's scary at how many different types of foods have some type of sugars in it. Most of them, I don't think, need it. No. Yeah, you like tomato sauce and salad dressings and... Yeah, right. Like every, everything has sugar in it, or high fructose corn syrup. <laughs> oh, that's I mean, that's a whole other story of the danger of high fructose corn syrup. But even a lot of these organic foods, you can be certified organic but have this cane sugar in it, mm-hmm. and that's better. But still, having a lot of cane sugar in these products, you know, you also see it in, even in deli meat. And like we talked about earlier, the chicken broth. Mm-hmm. Right. It's a scary thing that is all the reason that you should make baked goods and other products yourself at home. Yeah. It's also made to not overeat them either because you're not just running to the store for cookies. You know, you have to make them yourself so you're not eating it at a time. Um, oh, absolutely. And I would add that in addition with a lot of the ingredients that we use, you're able to make them in a way that satiate you easier because the ones in the stores, they'll often add some type of preservatives that make you want more. I mean, that's the biggest problem with high fructose corn syrup. And I would say even with cane sugar, I think it has that effect. Mm-hmm. Right. And they also try to be lower fat and, you know, whatever the the latest trend is in nutrition. So I think, you know, especially for desserts, the that you know the best way to eat is, is is with good fat so at least it could slow down all that sugar that you're hitting your system with oh yeah these low-fat sugary desserts that boggles my mind as to even what that is like i just heard about some type of low-fat ice cream oh you know that's another good thing to to make for passover you don't want to buy all these on the market is to make your own homemade uh ice cream um some of these like ice cream makers are getting really, you know, inexpensive. 
you just um, get some good cream and egg yolks and put, you know, I'm actually making homemade vanilla extract this year, but, or even if you want to use, if you need to do a non-dairy ice cream, do some um, full-fat coconut milk with some egg yolks and cocoa powder, whatever flavoring you like, but that's, a, that's another option for, for Passover treats or desserts. That's a great idea because when you look at ice cream itself, there's nothing in it that makes it not kosher for Passover as far as the ingredients. But any ice cream that you're going to find in the stores, it's processed in the kitchen that's not kosher for Passover. So by that right. rule, it won't be. Right. There isn't that many options for for ice cream on Passover. That I mean, what's, what's in the market is really bad. <laughs> it's, it's really processed. Um, I don't buy any of that. And, and yeah, and, and exactly depending on what kind of kosher level you keep, you're not going to buy, um, you know, whatever organic ice cream is available in, in the health food store unless it's certified for, for Passover, but that doesn't exist yet. Yeah, that's really specific you have to make an ice cream that's kosher for Passover. In general, are ice creams kosher? Yeah, there's a, there's a, there's a few good options for um, for kosher organic, you know, ice cream, certified organic and certified kosher, but you're not going to find those on Passover. It's still best to make it yourself because you know exactly what's going into it, um, and you you know get the highest the eggs, the highest quality cream, and you can also use less sweetener than what you find in the store. Oh yeah, I mean the homemade ice cream really is something that you should do year round, not just on Passover. Do you make it with a raw milk? I usually try to do the raw cream or like half and half and and I also do like coconut coconut milk ice cream when I need a non-dairy non-dairy version and any other foods that you're looking at making for Passover um, I always do like a green free granola that that always helps out a lot when I'm trying to, you know, get ready for Passover and I have to see my kids at the same time that I'm cleaning out my kitchen and getting ready. So that's, that's usually one of the first things that I make because they can either eat it with, you know, milk as like a cereal type thing or, or just snack with it. Um, I also do like a really simple um, homemade jelly. I'll take, you know, frozen blueberries and just boil it down until it gets kind of that jelly consistency. Because again, what you're finding in the market for for Passover, they're all full of artificial colors and ingredients and and sugar, which I don't know why jelly needs sugar. But no, uh, it's sweet with the fruit itself. <laughs> yeah. Um, so that's also another kind of go-to thing I always make. Um, I'll do you know I'll do a couple of like almond flour type of muffins or things like that. Just so they have something to snack on while I'm trying to get ready for the Seder. Um, and, oh, the mayonnaise. I always make homemade mayonnaise for Passover. Wh whatever you're going to find certified for Passover is going to have cottonseed oil. And I still can't understand how cottonseed oil became a food. <laughs> but I would definitely stay away from cottonseed oil. But almost... Every product that you find on the, on the shelves on Passover has cottonseed oil. And the issue with that is because 
um, there's a tradition not to eat legumes on Passover. So they're trying to replace soybean oil and peanut oil and I don't know what other you know, ingredients people would use for that, but that's why there's so much cottonseed oil on Passover products. So it sounds like when it comes to Passover, as far as these foods that you find in the store that are labeled kosher for Passover, those are things that you just, well, pass over. Exactly. <laughs> I think probably the only thing that I buy now is like, you can find organic grape juice for Passover. That's that's probably the only thing I'm buying now in the in the in the kosher market. And, and you, and the, I mean, and the matzah, of course. And in fact, you wrote a great article called "The Five Kosher for Passover Foods That You Should Pass Over." So we have to go in a second, but before we go, please let the listeners know where they can find that article as well as many great articles and recipes on how to keep real food and kosher. Um, so my blog is realfoodkosher.com, um, and to find that article, it's realfoodkosher.com, foods-to-pass-over. Um, and most of the recipes on my blog are grain or gluten-free, so probably 90% of what I have on there would be suitable for Passover, or anybody that's on a special diet, no grains or, or gluten. Well, Lisa, thank you so much for coming on the program and sharing your experiences, and I hope that you and your family have a happy and nourished Passover. And now for the desserts, how to live appropriately in the upcoming week. Today is the last day to pre-order the interviews and slideshows from the upcoming Village Green Network's Healthy Life Summit in order to get a 75% discount. The summit will feature 35 people speaking about real food and natural living. If you haven't done so already, pre-order your copies today, and then... Start listening to the interviews tomorrow as they stream online for free for 24 hours. Go to the website Village Green Media for all the details. Next, if you've ever thought about raising backyard chickens, the Temecula Farm Primal Pastures can help you get started. They'll build you a movable coop and provide laying hens, electric fencing, and some non-soy, non-GMO supplemental feed for the chickens. Check out their webpage primalpastures.com to get started. And finally, as Passover begins tomorrow evening, I recommend buying kokaroons for your macaroon needs. These are macaroons that are organic and free of preservatives and refined sugars. Kokaroons are available in stores nationwide. Their internet site at mycocoroons.com, that's M-Y-C-O-C-O-R-O-O-N-S.com, can help you find the store closest to you or you can order them to be delivered if there aren't any supermarkets available in your area. That's all for this week. My guests next week are Monica Kozdrowiska and Gosha Reed of Be Panacea. To find out more about my guests, my news stories, and my recommendations, visit my blog at appropriateomnivore.com. Okay, well, uh...